Welcome to a very special episode of No Beer Left Behind. The allergy and sinus bug has hit the cast pretty hard this week, myself mainly. So we couldn't really put out a quality full cast all on our own this week, but we wanted to do a repost of our interview with the Manhattan Project Beer Company that we did earlier this year. And as we close in on the actual opening of their own very own facility and tap room, we thought it would be a good idea to do a little you know, refresh, make sure you guys were caught up on the, on the happenings at the Manhattan Project. So, until next time, we thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoy this classic episode of No Beer Left Behind. For Brian here in North Texas, cheers. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to No Beer Left Behind. This is a very special episode. A couple of reasons. One, this is our 100th episode of No Beer Left Behind. I know for the handful of you who have come with us on this journey, this is a big moment. This is a big moment for everyone involved, okay? But, you know, the 100th episode is not the biggest thing that we got going on tonight. We have a bit of a special... Not not a bit. We do have special guests with us this evening here on our special episode of No Beer Left Behind. Um, quickly, we're going to go around the horn, and then we'll introduce our guests, okay? You probably saw it from the show title, but uh, just, just, just roll with us here, okay? We're going to just bring you the glorious heat that is No Beer Left Behind. Um, I myself this evening am drinking some, uh, homebrew beer because, uh, I need to get it out of my, uh, kegerator. I've got two five gallon kegs and literally three cases of homebrew because my brew year's resolution is that I brew every month and, uh, I might've doubled up a month (laughs) and one of the batches of stout turned out pretty bad. So I'm going to have to just gut through that. But tonight... I'm drinking a beer that it left to, that is left unnamed, but it's a bit of a special beer. I'm going to try to show you guys. It's hard to see on camera uh, and it, absolutely impossible to see via podcast, which is great. Uh, but I don't know if y'all can see what makes this beer a little special. Uh, but is it's an amber? It's blue. <laughs> it's blue? Yeah, I'm trying oh, to. Oh, I guess there's a hue to it. Trying yeah, to, it, it, it really yeah, came out purple. more yeah. purple yeah, than too. anything <laughs> else. I see purple or pink. All right, so we'll go with purple because now I'm seeing an actual light. It's straight up purple. Uh, <laughs> it is a purple cream ale um, because I used a, uh, a nice little tea called Butterfly Pea Flower, uh, which uh, bartenders use in mixed drinks to turn things electric blue. But we also found a little chemical reaction when pH drops, say, in a beer during fermentation, it turns from blue to bright purple, which is what we're looking at here. 
Anyway, uh, a nice cream ale, super simple. Uh, I'm going to play with it a little more and maybe dry hop this thing with uh, laurel hops next time and uh, make it a good crusher. Frank, down in Austin actual, um, I know what you're drinking. Please let the audience know what wonderful beer you're sipping on this evening. Um, well, Brian, I appreciate you for introducing me in such a custodial manner. Um, you're I've got... Right. Two hats. <laughs> I think it's called Crisp Light Beer. I, don't, I have no idea. Like, it sounds like a multi-estate red. You just like, call it, it just the end of whatever they add. I don't know. That's exactly what it is. Just call it Two Hats Lime. That's all you need to know. Okay. What do it you think? It tastes a lot like Bud Light Lime. Okay, it does not, does not taste like Bud Light Lime. <laughs> I will fight you to the death, sir. <laughs> There's a lot of lime in this, Brian. Yes, there is. Um, that's what makes it delicious. I mean, it smells like lime. Yeah, well, uh, it's got lime in the name. What more do you but, want? Uh, I mean, I did the draft top pour, so I can't really show it, but it's, I mean, it's clear, right? So it's uh-huh. <clears throat> good. That's good. I, okay, so. Nothing I, wrong with it. It's I, Do they only sell in 16-ounce cans of those? Because, uh, like, I could really only use 12 of this. this oh, is a bit well, you need to man up, sir, because that is 16 ounces of deliciousness. Uh, it is so for people who've heard me talk about it i've described it as uh, Michelob ultra cactus juice but with none of the sugar and i mean have you ever just licked the li- the lime salt yeah you're and welcome so take the take the saltiness away and you've got that fake lime flavor like all over this it's it is i don't know it's quote it's unquote right. true lime it's, in a light beer you're welcome okay you know what? it's you're fine welcome. there's there's nothing wrong with it, okay? And it says a hint of natural lime. No, no, no. I should change that. It is, well, light is, is it, it's lime. a hint of natural lime in a shit to, ton of fake lime. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just insane. Like, I've never had it. I'm not. <laughs> it's... No, it's it's a that's a fair assessment because it it does taste like it smells like you just crushed a lime and then you taste it and you're like, mm, that's I don't not know. it. <laughs> you're like me thinks that's not a real crush there. It tastes but... like I just licked some of that salt. I'm telling you, go lick the salt. Think of it as not the salt. Like just, just back off the salt a little bit. I want you to and listen to this and then tell me it's not the same damn thing. I want you to listen back to your review of this and tell me how much sense any yeah, of that. Two, two out of five, two L- out of five, lick that's the salt, lick the salt. Don't think of it as the salt. And that's what you'll get. I mean, with that, it'll make sense to people who actually lick the so, salt. That's so are we, it. are we talking about like Lucas, like that Lucas lime flavored salt? Is that the stuff? Yeah. The yeah. stuff with aluminum in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not a little afterbirth of aluminum. It's not. That's, like, I don't think that's the right oh flavor. My to God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's uh, an office reference. Our, our, our self-ascribed certified Cicerone uh, review out of the way. God, I can't even with you. It is self-ascribed. Villem right. up in Tulsa, what are you drinking this evening? Is it, Are you drinking like a single malt tonight, or are you drinking... <laughs> I'm finishing off this Aperol spritzer. Yeah, there you go. I'm... That's good. <laughs> this, you know that we're on a podcast called No Beer Left Behind, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, I got a, it's in the name. Anthem Golden one on deck. All I'm right. ready to party. Okay, all right. So you do have a beer for our 100th episode of no <laughs> beer left behind. Good, good, yeah, good, good, good. All right. And but so it is the 30th episode of Why Not or Come Drink with Villem. So it's not. What was his other one? Stick around for my new spinoff, Spritzin' with Vildo. After this, <laughs> we go over. Various. I think you really need to workshop that name, Villem. <laughs> <laughs> 
terrible name. Okay, well, while that is happening there, God, I, I don't... How you're married is beyond me sometimes. Uh, I can't. Uh, you've heard you've heard the sultry voice already, and you might have thought to yourself, "Well, that's not that's not Parker," and it's not. It's our special guest that we have this evening. We have from the Manhattan Project Beer Company in Dallas, Texas. We have Carl and Misty. Carl, Misty, how are y'all doing this evening? Doing well, man. Doing great. Uh, Misty, are you? Yeah, okay. doing well. <laughs> so let's say ditto. <laughs> uh, there's sometimes where uh, we, we do this on Google Hangouts, and there's sometimes where I have the fear of God put into me. When I see someone, and I'm like, I, I can't tell if, if their mouth is moving. Oh, God. Oh, God. Do we lose audio? <laughs> so I get scared sometimes. Uh, so the Manhattan Project Beer Company. I think I've had... Uh, Half-Life a couple times on our podcast and uh, talked about it and drooled over it. I know I went in depth and talked about Double Half-Life when it went on at Index Fest uh, back in November, formerly Untapped Fest in Dallas. Um, And actually, uh, in my correspondence with you, Misty, I figured out that I was actually at y'all's first beer event uh, back in 2015, I guess, or 2016. Uh, at the last Untapped Fest, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, we launched the day before, the night before. So yeah, so that was our very first festival. I remember standing oh, wow. in line that on was the day two. Day two. Wow. Hey, early adopter. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, yeah. Standing in line on the backside of the Cotton Bowl with a bunch of people freezing my oh, ass so off. Cool. <laughs> it was ridiculous. So October here in Dallas can be either like 110 or 50 and like oh, a yeah. 60 mile an hour wind. And that's what it was. And, oh. uh, it was, it was an awesome event. I think it was, uh, it was the, the last of the untapped fest. Uh, but, yep. uh, this year y'all were front and center at index fest. Like you walk in the gates and y'all were like the first brewery, like down the chute. Yeah, we know people. Yeah, it yeah. seems it seems like y'all <laughs> to be in the right place at the right time, and and I was just asked like, um, "Hey, I'm about to start assigning uh, tents. Do you want to pick your tent?" I said, "Yes, I would like to pick my tent." <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a very I'll take, very. I'll take this one right here next to the gate. <laughs> well, and because we're. We were older than we uh, would like to admit. We didn't want to be next to the loud stage. So he picked a tent where we could actually <laughs> talk to people. <laughs> you didn't want to hear Big Boy perform. Hey, man. <laughs> Dude, like, I feel like we, for some reason, we always get put six inches away from the speakers. Oh. And then people are like, so tell me a little bit. And I'm like, by the end of the day, I mean, you know, you're there for four or six hours and you're just yeah. shouting the whole time. You can't talk. No one can hear you. So, yeah. I mean, we go to events so we can interact with the people. So, yeah, getting away from the stage just a little bit is a, is, is, is a good idea. So. Yeah. And I mean, like half of, half of selling alcohol or, Building brand loyalty is about the story. It's not oh, for sure. like you need good product, but you need the story. And if the story isn't there, it's it's sort of a fleeting customer, right? So that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> the beer nerds will always flock to you. I will be dead set honest with you. You cannot talk to us. We will come back. We are a glutton for punishment. Um, <laughs> but it's what we like to – I refer to as the normie folk who like uh, that oh, little extra normies. bit of attention. 
but y'all, uh, for people outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, the Manhattan Project Beer Company, uh, y'all are y'all have been around for like we just said, uh, almost two years now, right? Is it full two years? Yeah, oh, a year and a half. Yeah, year it'll be half. two years. Uh, November eleventh. So, uh, in in the Dallas beer scene, like with breweries opening up, I think there's like fifty on deck to open up in 2018. Uh, like you guys are actually, <laughs> you've kind of been around longer than <laughs> some of these some of the new guys that are popping up, uh, who've who've had. Uh, uh, sorry, Frank, did you just open up a bottle bomb? What happened? You're in full panic mode right now. <laughs> it was your homebrew. <laughs> God, God damn it. <laughs> is that ego tripping? Is that ego tripping? No, this is the RDB. I don't know. You sent me home with it. Yep, that's the uh, bitter. Anyway, shouldn't have done that. Cool. Anyway, looking forward to how that tastes. Uh, that's why it I'm. Should be well fermented. <laughs> it's super. Or well, well carbonated. Super. Very well carbonated. Super carbonated. Well, Frank does shake like up. Topo Chico of beers is what this is. Frank throws all of his beers in the dryer before he opens them, just to be sure they're nice and carbonated. So anyway, uh, y'all have been around a uh, year and a half. Uh, <laughs> y'all, do y'all still are, the the thing that I I have a question about is uh, where are y'all located right now? And I, I'm asking that as kind of a leading question for y'all to tell us a little bit of an update on uh, the Manhattan Project Beer Company. Misty, do you want to start it off? Yeah, so we're still in our alternating proprietorship agreement. So what we're doing is brewing from Bitter Sisters up in Addison. Now, we do officially own the warehouse that we will be in in the next, you know, I don't know, three or four months. Carl will tell you for sure. (laughs) But (laughs) he's Uh, a me. 2018. Yeah. By the end of the year. Yeah. So we will be in there soon. So we're, we're splitting our time. So for the next few months, we are still a teeny tiny um, production. We only produce 40 barrels per month. Um, And all of that will change very soon. So that's why we're a bit hard to find. And, you know, our beer doesn't stick around for very long. You know, we, we had a spring release and we literally brewed only six barrels of it and it's done. Wow, just be, wow! Yeah, just because we we don't have the capacity, and we we still want to release new things, but we can't let Half Life and Double Half Life disappear. So, yeah. thank God, no, don't yeah. ever let that happen, please. <laughs> so then, then how, how do you how do you uh, experiment with new brews? Do you do that kind of at home? No, no, everything happens at Bitter Sisters where we brew. Um, okay. That's where our TBC license is. But the experimental beers happen on our three barrel pilot system. Okay. Um, so we get one 30-barrel batch per month, and that is either Half-Life, Hoppenheimer, or now Double Half-Life. Yeah. Um, and then th- that's because those are our standbys. You know, those are the things that we've got permanent taps for where we've got, you know, big handshake agreements where we can't, we can't lose um, our, you know, our inventory of that beer. So everything else you taste that's not those three beers, they happen on our three-barrel system. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think we've got a 10 gallon for, you know, recipe development and yeah. stuff like that. So, and then, so as far as kind of, you said you have handshake agreements, I'm guessing you're probably topped out for your current production. Like you're, you're yes. not adding additional places. <laughs> um, but then once you get to the bigger brewery, I'm guessing that's going to be a very large expansion of production, right? Yeah. Pretty quickly. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, um, 
uh, day one, we'll have five times the, the production capacity. So, oh, wow. so That's yeah. Amazing. And then, and then, you know, obviously, um, yeah, I don't know how much I think, I mean, we can go into some details here cause I think this stuff's pretty fun. I don't know how much people talk about it, but so we have a 30 barrel brew house. Um, and you know, initially we'll, we'll probably, you know, be brewing on it, you know, maybe a couple times a week, but you know, you can brew, you can brew on these things 24 hours a day. So, you know, mm -hmm. we can, we could get up to like 24 a week. You know, I think um, Petacolis has a, a 15 barrel system and I think they're running that thing like 24 hours a day, six days a week. Yep. So, um, so yeah. And then essentially, you know, how, how you expand is through your, your fermentation tanks. So um, we're going to start off with uh, four fermentation tanks, um, two 30 barrel and two 60 barrel. And then, you know, we'll be able to expand from there. And that, and that's a little, you know, that's obviously a little bit easier to just, so when you need to, you know, grow your capacity, you just add a tank versus, you know, you, you don't have to upgrade your brew house at all because brew house yeah. is there and it'll, you know, it'll, it'll take us through the next few years for sure. So, um, so, so yeah, that, that to, tanks at a time. to provide a little uh, perspective for people familiar with the Dallas beer scene, uh, Lakewood, I believe up until this year has a 30 barrel brew house that they brew on, uh, mm -hmm. uh, community beer company also 30 has a 30 barrel brew house that they brew on. And, uh, if you ever go there and you see their big, like 90 and 120 barrel tanks, uh, they're filling those, but off of that 30 barrel brew system. So yeah, they're brewing four times a day to fill up that 120 barrel fermenter of, uh, Temptress. Uh, and it's a great way to up production in a, and keep space pretty limited uh, because Dallas, Dallas, Dallas real estate is kind of a premium. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Kind of is an so understatement. Then, <laughs> I guess. Okay. So, so coming from not having ever brewed, right. Which I, I think a lot of people that listen, they, they might've dabbled at one point, but in a production brew house, so you've got your, 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 what you called your your brew house is mm -hmm. it's it's essentially a a a stop on the way to being beer right so it's, yeah that's what it's what most it's what um what happens in the brew house is what most people think about making beer right so that's where yeah. the grain comes in and you mash in you know and the, and that's where you're extracting the sugars from the grain and then you're transferring them over and you're boiling and you're adding the hops and then Basically, once it leaves the brew house is when it goes in the fermenter uh, with the yeast, and then it just, you know, it sits there for a couple of weeks and, and, you know, lets the yeast do its do its magic on the sugar. Um, and then, yeah. and then you know, and then we will have, so kind of there's one last step that's similar if you've ever done home, you know, if you've witnessed home brewing, you know, you, you rack off at some point, right, from your primary into like a secondary fermentation vessel and, and you know, just really trying to, separate the liquid from the hop matter and the yeast, you know, yeast trube and everything. But, um, yeah, so we'll have like a bright tank and that's basically where you, you know, you crash cool it. So that's, you know, normally during fermentation, you're somewhere around 70 degrees and then you want to get it down. Um, you want to get down into the thirties to, uh, obviously you want the beer cold and, and, and cooling it rapidly actually helps clarify it, helps some of the you know, particulates, uh, you know, fall out of the beer. And then that's also where we carbonate it is in the, is in the bright tank. And then, so from then there from the bright tank, it'll go to keg or we'll have a, we'll have a canning line. So we'll, we're going to start canning when we open our, our facility as well. So. That was one of my major questions, which was <laughs> when you open your facility, are you going to do package? 
So yes, we are. Are you looking at doing package sales through the brew house or through the tap room, or are you going to be doing outside self distribution? Both. Both? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not not self distribution. We have a a distributor, but yeah, we will be doing uh, retail and from the brewery. Excellent. That's awesome. Excellent. You guys are located in a real good spot for that too. Uh, It's not like y'all are out in the middle of nowhere for uh, for tap room sales. Believe it or not, we're in this kind of desert. Like you were talking about being in a desert. Mm -hmm. There's, I mean, there's one bottle shop in our neighborhood, and it's not even really in that in our neighborhood. So Oak Cliff was dry for a long time, which is it was. Yeah. So. We've got some catching up to do, and hopefully we'll be one of the resources for beer. I uh, actually learned to homebrew over in the Bishop Arts District of uh, Oh, yeah. Oak Cliff. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, yeah. Oak Cliff is gorgeous. Like, it's an awesome area. Yeah. That's awesome that you're putting a brew house in there. That's, that's Yeah, so we'll, we're, we're going to be, or we are, one mile from downtown. So if, wow. you know where, if you know where Kennedy got shot, we are one mile on the same road west wow. of downtown so yeah so we're pretty excited so villain awesome. knows all about that he is a uh, big kennedy uh, assassination conspiracy yep. conspiracy theorist yes all in i'll say what this property was it was quite serendipitous we um you know you know we've been we've been kind of working on this and kind of you know put it together and and learning and writing a business plan for for a while now and um years not just years. A while. <laughs> yeah, yeah years. he made it seem like it's like three week process that he's been no no, no no like three years <laughs> yeah no yeah when when did we so yeah we st- yeah it was about three and a half years ago when we kind of first started talking about it and uh and i had kind of like just thrown together like like a quick kind of like a one pager sort of business plan and then um kind of obviously Misty and I are married, so I just said, "Hey, I, I want to kind of talk about this, you know, and you know, and, and let's get let's let's go have coffee with Jeremy." And so, you know, so we all kind of met up, and and you know, it's like you know, we because we've been brewing together, kind of on the on the homebrew scene, on the amateur scene, doing you know, labor of love and uh, and uh, brew riot and blue bonnet and all those things, and um, so <clears throat> so we yeah we all got together one day. I think it was like. Yeah, probably, I think it was like in December of 16, 15, 15, uh, 15. And, um, I said, Hey, do you guys want to do this? And, and Misty and Jeremy both kind of looked at me like, um, I have no idea if I want to do this because I have, like, I have no idea what it involves. Right. Um, so we spent probably the next six months just researching it. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with Jeremy and, and because, you know, we kind of divvied up the different areas to kind of research and, you know, put together this business plan. And, um, you know, and, and Jeremy was kind of responsible for everything production related. And uh, so I said, yeah, you know, we need to get accurate costs on raw materials and this and that. And he's like, well, you know, how do I, you know, how do we get costs on grain? And I was like, you know, and that was just so funny because I, I think, you know, I think back to that moment, which is like almost three and a half years ago. Yeah, right at three and a half where we're sitting there going, we don't know how much grain costs to like opening a, <laughs> you know, a production facility. But, uh, you know, it's been a yeah, it's been a long road, but it's been, um, you know, I, I kind of I mean, I really do appreciate the approach we've taken because, you know, like I said, we spent that six months just kind of researching the business plan. 
and kind of during that six months, it really, like we really kind of like fleshed out like who was going to be responsible for what and, and how we were going to all work together. And, and, you know, and, and that's, I think one part that when people talk about a brewery, you know, they talk about beer recipes and things like that a lot, but they don't necessarily talk about what it takes to open a business. And I, I will say like, number one, um, you got to have great business partners. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like that's where we're at, where, you know, we all, we all have our responsibilities and obviously we, we work together a lot, but you know, we all just got to take care of our own thing. And, and that's number one, man, get some, get some great, get some great business partners. You're, you're not going to be able to succeed at anything. So, so, you know, it's interesting. You, you started building and I think you, you said something key there that I think a lot of people take for granted, right? You said we didn't, we started with recipes, but we understood that the recipes had cost mm-hmm. associated to them. And that cost at volume is not necessarily what you would assume. So you need to go price grain yeah. at volume for a brewery. And I'll tell you from, from sort of my history in banking, about 95 to 97% of people that come that need assistance with a, a, a financial model to meet their business plan never consider these basic raw material input costs. And they're not raw material and like, oh, you need to build this building. A lot of people get that fairly okay because they'll get an architect to help them out. Yeah. But it's like to manage the business, the difference between let's say you're buying let's say you're buying grain at six dollars a pound and really when you estimated it, you estimated that grain being four dollars. That's a huge difference. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. So I I respect that. That is that is absolutely the appropriate way to go about it. Is like you build it from the model and then you minimum viable yeah. business plan it out and then you say, Can we beat this? And then well, you kind of go through it. And I don't, I don't want to get too financial dorky, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and risk that anyway. But <laughs> Bring uh, it on. I think, I think one of the big things that um, a lot of people don't realize, and, and it was honestly something I, I, I mean, I kind of understood the concept of, but I didn't really know how to calculate it. And luckily, I've got a couple of buddies that are private equity, and they sat down with me with, you know, we have this crazy Excel model. It's absolutely ridiculous. But, um, you know, it's like 30 tabs. And it's, it's the way to do it. That's the only but, way to do it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so so networking capital, which I think a lot of people don't understand. Yep. They say, okay, well, um, you know, I'm selling, you know, I'm selling widgets or whatever. We'll just use real life. I'm selling beer. So okay, let's say month one, I'm going to sell 50, 50 barrels worth of beer, and I know I'm going to get three hundred and something dollars per barrel. Um, and you know, these are my costs and how so much my labor is going to be. Well, you know, the thing is, you got to buy those materials. Say you want to sell that beer in January, you got to buy those materials in November. You got to pay your labor in December. Mm-hmm. Then you got to make the beer, and then you know, then you're then it's sitting in an inventory. And so, we are sitting there going, okay, well, I'm gonna sell whatever it's called. I'm gonna sell twenty thousand dollars worth of beer, and it cost me ten thousand, so I'm gonna have ten thousand in the bank. It's like, no, you're not. First of all, you need that that ten thousand in cost. You need that two months ago, and then that ten thousand in revenue. You're not gonna get that for another thirty days. So all of a sudden, you've got essentially ninety days of costs that, that are coming out of pocket. And I mean, we're looking at some pretty, some pretty big numbers. And, um, yeah. you know, if, if you're sitting there going, okay, you know, this is what my, you know, this is what my building's going to cost. This is what, you know, my first month's of salary or, you know, first six months. If you, you know, if you're just looking at that, you're not looking at, man, at some point I'm going to have essentially, 
you know, 25% of my revenue tied up in networking capital, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be short of cash, man. And um, so it's, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's been a, I mean, it's been an amazing learning experience where like, you know, you hear about these things in finance class or accounting class or whatever, but, but when you actually have to make the rubber hit the road, make all the numbers balance out and that balance sheet has to be zero, you know, in your, in your model, when you're showing the bank and everything, it's, it's a, it's a bit more challenging than I originally anticipated, but it's been great. It's, it's, it's a very intimidating process. Like the, the, yeah. the fact of the matter is, is when you're going through it, you make a decision at some point that either this is worth the time and effort or it's not. And a lot of people, <clears throat> they lean on the not and they think they can make it work. And it, it like a ton of that leads into the statistics about businesses failing in their first, whatever, whatever. Um, and, and it, it, like it, actually calculating your networking cap- capital, you'll never be correct about it and you'll never be, um, you truly will never have enough of it because you can't predict right. growth, but you can be at a, grow the more money you need, right? Exactly. And you can be at a very safe point to where you can then start calculating some performance indicators that'll tell you, Hey, we're growing too fast. We need to go either raise more money or go find some additional debt somewhere from a bank because we have inventory mm-hmm. we can loan against. So if you continue the process forward, that networking capital number becomes incredibly important, and it, it it essentially it's it's more important than income. Income is what you get off the top after you're done committed net networking capital for the next period. Yeah, so, like like honestly, if if you're gonna if you're gonna if you plan on you know having a million dollars in revenue in say a year, you have to have an extra two hundred two hundred fifty thousand just to just to hit that growth rate i mean it's yep. it's it's no joke so yeah that's a hey, carl that's a fantastic point i think that's like what when it comes down to to building out a business plan marketing's very important <clears throat> your your recipes are important where you're going to be doing it how you're planning on expanding like all of these things current market analysis they're all inclusive, but that financial model, if it doesn't balance, is sort of your deciding indicator, right? Like you, you can either do it or you can't based on requirements for minimum investment and how you're going to end up building out that business. So that was – that's good. That's the, We didn't cover that uh, in our previous sort of like <laughs> start a business discussion. Yeah. Whole, like very important. What's, what's what I know is – and I think, you know, um, I mean obviously every business is different, but uh, – you know, having ha- like a like I kind of mentioned earlier, having like competent people that you work with and people <laughs> that you enjoy working with, and it's like you know I don't have to you know Missy doesn't have to worry about you know what I'm doing. I don't you know we don't really have to worry about each other doing what we're supposed to do. And uh, you know Jeremy makes great beer. Missy's you know just I mean our I mean to me I mean I love our 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 branding and you know, where we're at on that. And, you know, we've been, obviously we've been selling everything that we make, um, which is, and then, you know, like I've, I'm, I'm covering the kind of the financial piece and then also um, building out our facility, which for some reason turned into like the most complicated (laughs) land development project that we could have, that we could have even dreamed up. But, um, but yeah, it's in Dallas. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I was going to say major city, but, uh, (laughs) 
Thanks, Dallas. Yeah, I think we've um, – so I think we started the rezo- we started the rezoning process one year ago, and we are still not to the point where we can submit for building permits. And it's not like we've been monkeying we've not around. Missed, yeah. No, we've not missed deadlines. We've not missed review periods. It's just – how long it takes to open a business in Dallas. <clears throat> so do you do you actually like have to go stand in front of the city council and pitch or several times, yeah, yeah. So oh. um so okay, so and this is I think I'm gonna get into the nuts and bolts here because I think this stuff is you know, this is stuff that people don't really talk about. And I think I think a lot of developers and, and are for some right secretive about this stuff because they, they, they feel that, you know, people will be able to compete against them or something. But you know, so we, we identify the property and, and what was I'd started to mention this earlier, um, you know, kind of during this long kind of planning process and, and, you know, we're really wanted to know, feel like we understood the business and the industry. We, um, you know, we said, okay, well, you know, how much space do we need? So, you know, we did some kind of um, just some generic layouts of where we would put the tanks and the brew house and the tap room and the cold storage. And, you know, obviously we looked at what other people had done and, so we kind of said, okay, well, the minimum the minimum is ten thousand square feet, and we said, okay, well, you know, how much you know how much parking would we need, you know, and how big would the parking lot need to be, and so we looked at it and we're like, okay, well, we need about three quarters of an acre and about ten thousand square feet, and so you know, it was about uh, it was probably about um, little yeah, right at like six months into to operations, um, you know, thus far like at that point everything was. You know, everything had gone just as we anticipated. You know, sales were good. We, you know, we were heading in the right direction. And, you know, we had looked at kind of real estate in the past. And, you know, you're just buying a house. There's tons of houses out there. But when you're looking for three-quarters of an acre of land with 10,000-square-foot warehouse with 20-foot ceilings that's in an area of town that's close to population density but isn't more expensive than what you can afford and, you know, like – you add all these parameters in there and it, it I mean, it becomes, and not, uh, and, and not near a school or yeah, 300 feet yeah. within any religious entity school or like daycare or yeah, it's a yeah. mess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so we said, well, you know what? We, we probably won't, it won't be anytime soon or it might be you know, six months, but we need to start looking at real estate. So like I literally hop on, I hop on uh, LoopNet, which is a commercial real estate yep. site, and like the first site I saw was like three quarters of an acre, a mile from downtown, ten thousand square foot warehouse with like nineteen foot ceilings. So it was like, it, you know, great. The building's in like great shape. It's all concrete and brick, and you know. Um, and it's so, a mile and a half from our house where we've lived for ten years, so we know the neighborhood you, extremely well. You yeah, missed that it's very important, like detail. Redeveloping neighborhood, um, you know, there's like apartment mid-rise apartments going up everywhere and stuff. So, man, it was like, okay, this property is perfect. I mean, I called the realtor right then, so I want to look at it today. And you know, so we looked at it, and we had an offer on it right away. Um, you know, but the zoning doesn't didn't allow for alcohol beverage manufacturing, which is the use type um, that, that we're doing. Cause it's kind of more, it's like a mixed use, kind of more like commercial yeah. and you know, the, the laws are still um, the laws are still kind of old fashioned where breweries are big in, industrial, you know, like smokestacks coming out of them. You know, that's how they kind of imagine them. Not like a, not like what we're doing. And um, so we had to go through a rezoning process and, and, you know, the thing is obviously it's, 
you know, you're not going to have a bank that's going to really back you to buy a piece of property um, if they don't know if you can use it or not. So, you know, we had to get basically we had to get the zoning before we closed on the deal. So um, this is something like once again, that most people aren't familiar with, with commercial real estate is, you know, you have a lot of room to negotiate with the seller and say, hey, I will buy this property, you know, if you can get it rezoned. And a lot of times, a lot of times that burden is actually put on the seller. Say, hey, you get it rezoned, then I'll buy it. You know, or like that old building that's on there, you get that demo, demolished and then I'll buy the property. Um, in, in this case, we took on the zoning ourselves, but, you know, that was about a five month process. And once again, didn't miss any deadlines, um, yeah. you know, but, uh, and it was, but and it was a, it wasn't just like paperwork either. We literally went door to door introducing ourselves, shaking hands um, to every business owner and resident in the neighborhood so that they would not, um, you know, they would not, not support us. Yeah. Um, block it. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. When, whenever you're changing the zoning, like these notification letters go out to this, this, you know, 500 foot radius. So anybody within 500 feet, which doesn't sound like much, but you know, when you start, I think it was ended up being like 110 property owners or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and they all have the opportunity to say, no, I don't want, you know, I don't want a brewery in my neighborhood. But luckily, I mean, uh, everyone's, I mean, everyone's, I mean, craft beers is, is way different than, you know, a beer manufacturing plant. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone was really excited yeah. about it. So we got a lot of support and, you know, got through it as quickly as, as like even the system would allow. Like I said, it still took about five months. And then, you know, um, just working with banks too, you know, um, banks are very, as you know, <laughs> banks are very conservative institutions. And so that doesn't um, sound right. That want, doesn't seem like something they would do. I yeah. I think, you know, like I think our application between all of our, you know, financial models and paperwork and I mean, it ended up being like 300 pages. Yeah. You know, I mean, they want to see, they want to see quotes from all of your vendors on how much your equipment's going to cost, you know, um, they want to see finished construction documents, so all of your architecturals, all of your mechanical, electrical, plumbing drawings, structural drawings, civil engineer drawings, full. And you know that that'll cost you like fifty grand just to get that set done. So, you know, and it's it's a lot to you know it's a lot to put out there on the line without uh, you know a certainty that that a you're going to get the zoning, b that you're going to get the you know that you're going to be able to close the loan and and stuff, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've we found some great uh, working with Plains Capital and uh, another uh, Lincoln Capital Management working with two lending partners, and they've both been real great. And they know the process; they've been supportive. So that's kind of maybe like lesson number two. I don't know if we're if we're keeping track here, but if you're starting a business, like you got to get a banker, man. Like you got to get someone, someone that you can, someone you can talk to, and and uh, face to and, you face. Know, yeah, face to face, and can and can help you through the process because it is it's a uh, it's litigious. Yeah, what what gets me is <clears throat> so we we've talked a lot about the the backing the the build up to manufacturing this product in a way that you can actually maintain, which is incredibly important. And if I'm honest, just speaking amongst us here and our listeners. If you want to know something that sets the Manhattan Project apart from other breweries in the DFW area, it's the thought process 
behind the production of the beer. You will see a lot of breweries in the DFW area who have found themselves and are finding themselves in a situation where they have to put out a product that is not 100% their, like, to their liking. And the Manhattan Project has, done, has set themselves up to where they put out a product that is correct now that's saying like uh that the the beer that they that they want you to taste is what you're tasting and that's huge in the beer market you and i I appreciate i appreciate that man that's you know we don't we don't really talk about this much because it's it's not i mean it's more of like an internal message that we talk about but uh i mean one of our one of the things we talked about and you know this is another thing you know between you you know all the all the partners have to be on the same page and we all and we all said hey if we make a batch of beer and it's not where we think it's supposed to be is it going down the drain or are we going to try to push it you know and and we said no it's going down the drain and and it's it's happened and it you know i mean it happens to everybody mm-hmm. um but you know that was kind of one of our things is is um you know we just never you know people may not like you know, you may or may not like all of our beers, but what we said is, you know, we're not going to ever release a beer that that the three of us don't think is a world class beer. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it costs money, man. Oh um, yeah. You know. Yeah, but that's that's part of the that's part of the cost of running that business. Just that's like the working capital, if you will. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, one of the. I don't, I don't know if I put. Any beer down the drain in the model, so you can you can you can <laughs> only fudge. matter of time, Brian. We found it. You can you can fudge <laughs> that into other numbers. You can work that out. Right, don't worry. I have faith in you guys. Uh, one of the things that I found most impressive is that every version or every time I've had like a product like Half Life or Plutonium Two Thirty Nine, it has tasted the exact same way that it did last time. And I'm having it in different places in the market, at different you know geographically different places in the market at different times. So that is already well, setting you apart from <laughs> other brewers. That's, that's a lot of credit to the to the to the uh, retailers, man, because. Um, you know, like in order for that to happen, I mean, once the, you know, obviously once the beer leaves our hands, it's, it's, uh, it's out of our control. And, you know, obviously if we know that there's a place out there that's storing their kegs, you know, on the back deck in the, you know, in the middle of the summer, um, you know, we're going to be a little bit leery about getting our product in there, but, uh, but really, yeah, I mean, we're turning over the, the, the care and, you know, care and feeding to the, to the retailers and, you know, um, and but we do, the, yeah, yeah, go yeah. Ahead. Yeah, but we do, um, you know, Atomic Alliance is a perfect example where that one falls out pretty quickly. So they, um, there was just kind of an agreement. If you, if we sell you a keg of Atomic Alliance, you have two weeks to tap it. You are not going to sit on this so that you're the last one to tap it. Right. Um, just because it has to taste the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, we have to meet the customer expectation. And for listeners who uh, are wondering, Atomic Alliance is their Pina Colada IPA. It is a milkshake IPA that they did in partnership with Taps and Caps. Um, you've heard me talk about the wonderful people, uh, Rick and Ali, uh, in their their uh, bottle shop. But they also own a growler bar, uh, two of them, uh, one in the colony, Louisville, and uh, one over in Fort Worth. And they partnered with uh, Manhattan Project, and they made a Pina Colada IPA with uh, 
It's described as a creamy coconut and pineapple beer inspired by the friends at Taps and Caps, which I, I'm a, I'm a giant beer nerd, and I have never found this beer on tap anywhere. <laughs> so this stuff is flying through the faucets. Well, over. it disappeared for winter because we can't keep everything on. Well, um, I mean, but, but we all have to hibernate. Oh, it comes back in two weeks. So end of May, is that right? Yeah, end of May. It'll Excellent. be back. Well, I'm just going to set a Google Calendar alert real quick for myself, <laughs> and we'll I'm, go on. Uh, it, it, I'm excited. I haven't. I mean, I haven't had it since. I mean, when did we have it last? Maybe November. Uh, yeah, I think I pushed October. it. Cause I think I think we had a, a warm fall, so I was like, it's still pina colada weather. So I pushed <laughs> it until. We had to bring back uh, Black Matter. Black Matter, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, listen, you will never hear me complain about Black Matter showing <laughs> up because I am a huge yeah. fan of that beer. Uh, so it, it kind of brings us into the branding side of this, Misty, which is, I believe, your yeah. world. Uh, and the uh, – I don't want to say double and triple layers of creativity that go into naming your beers, uh, but also the descriptor, uh, descriptors of these beers. So – I mean, you've heard us talk about Atomic Alliance, uh, Half-Life, Plutonium-239, uh, Double Half-Life, my personal favorite. <clears throat> just, I just want to read this descriptor real quick. Literally, <laughs> the, first, the first paragraph, this is the Goldilocks of IPAs. It's not too bitter. It's not too sweet. Not too dry. It's just right. I, so that in and of itself, I mean, that's like next-level science nerd minutia is what that is. Uh, the Goldilocks problem being that uh, if uh, Mars is too cold and Venus is too hot, how is Earth the correct temperature? And it's literally the Goldilocks problem of how life forms here on Earth. But you worked that in to the descriptor of this beer. <laughs> well done. It's well done. It really is. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I um, I have a background in branding and design and marketing and social media, so it has helped out significantly because we handle all of this internally, um, and we don't have to pay outside agencies that don't quite get us or understand science. Um, <laughs> Do you even science, bro? She just said. Yeah, good. not not a lot of physics majors in the marketing world, so no, <laughs> not really. Well, luckily, luckily, me and Jeremy are big nerds, so <laughs> yeah. I I, I don't think it's a prerequisite for craft beer, uh, good craft beer to be do, be produced by nerds, but it definitely helps. I'm I think it honest. should be a prerequisite for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, if you're like if you're if you're not into it enough that people call you a nerd, then you're just not into it enough. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> hit the hit the nerd weight room and come back and talk to me, okay? Yeah. That's that's yeah. good. I like that. Like, we should start making that a thing. Uh so <laughs> how how did the the name I I I've heard y'all talk about it on the Brew Bloods yeah. podcast. Um but for our listeners, how did the name Manhattan Project come about and the naming of all the beers kind of follow through? So we it was the three of us, so Carl and I and Jeremy and Jeremy's wife Gia and we this was, you know, back before good beer could come into the state of Texas. So I was working a corporate job, traveling all the time, and we'd have to take um, beer trips to go drink decent beer. And I, I spent back then, I spent a lot of time traveling to Seattle and up and down California. So Carl would join me, um, and the four of us took a trip to San Diego. 
and it was for um, it's actually my 30th birthday, I think. And we got drunk in Toronado. And if you've ever been there, the the ceiling and the walls, everything's covered in tap handles, so you're just you know surrounded by beer brands and labels. And after drinking all day long in San Diego, we you know brainstormed brewery ideas, brewery names, and like, hey, someone should do this, someone should do that. Um, not having the idea that we would be that brewery one day, um, <laughs> we were still just drinkers. Yeah, somebody, we, somebody should do this. Yeah, we were just you know. <laughs> Consumers, we weren't, weren't we were not manufacturers yet, even on the homebrew side. Jeremy's doing a little bit of homebrew, and then you fast forward a bit, and Carl and I got engaged, and Jeremy was homebrewing, and so we had just returned from a big beer trip in Europe, and we were super inspired, and so we asked Jeremy if he would brew a beer for our wedding, um, and that beer is what's known today as Inception. So part of our portfolio. Um, and so Jeremy got all excited about it and we started the design process nine months before the wedding, 10 months before the wedding. Um, and I think it's on its like 21st iteration now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, just because, you know, it was our first beer we ever designed as a team. So, um, but yeah, it's still around today and it's a really delicious beer. It was one of those beers where we were trying to find a beer that grandma could drink that, you know, my dad, the loves i don't even know oh like dos Equis, like the the dark dos Equis <laughs> were drink and then you know, people that thought that thought you know shiner was crap so we had to try to find this this middle middle ground um and that was inception we actually had a backup wheat beer that nobody touched until inception was gone Wow! All right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No love for the wheat beers over there. The, yeah. the one never to be spoken about again. God, <laughs> it's only referred to as the backup. The yeah. backup. Actually, and we don't have a wheat beer in our portfolio. I was going to say, I don't. Well, even when do... you when you bring it back, it needs to be the backup. The, <laughs> the, the backup beer. I, they yeah. have uh, so there's the backup a, wheat, wheat beer. There's a there's a brewery I think about a somewhere in Georgia that literally is called their beer Emergency Beer for Drinking. And uh, it's in like an all white can. It's just plain label, nothing fancy on it. That's, I mean, I'm just saying. Uh, in case of yep. in case of thirst, drink beer. Like you just uh, that's your wheat beer. Uh, that's that's hilarious. Uh, see, my my so, wedding so, didn't have anything that fun. We just had uh, <laughs> uh, like three or four rounds of wine that we had to go through because. We have a bunch of drunk relatives, I guess, that we didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, it was all yeah, it was all it was all on the up and up. Yeah, yeah. So the other question that I had, kind of about the branding, because um, I, I find it very interesting that like the you must workshop these names to some extent. Like I understand the world of atomic physics has a ton of really unique names. Mm-hmm. Um. But you've got the Hoppenheimer, right? That's a good play on words. Like, yeah, awesome. Blackberry Vision, uh, love that one. I mean, it, like Blackberry saison with your, with your fission, yeah. fusion. Um, do you do you just have like every? We have um, we just have a spreadsheet that's just a okay. brain dump of words, and then you know, and we have kind of a rough idea of what styles of beer will pair with future words. Um, but actually fission to be completely honest was like a Google search. And one of our weekly meetings, like 
shit, we got to name this beer. Like, this beer is about to release. We have to submit for label approval. None of our names on our spreadsheet fit this beer. Um, and it's highly carbonated, too. So we're like, okay, we got to figure this out. And it was like a 30-minute Google search about the Manhattan Project and bombs. and Yeah, it's like the original bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it fits. You know, we try to match the, the, the name to the beer very much, you know. Yeah. So. Like Half Life is very appropriate for Half Life. I I personally am a fan of the double Half Life, just in the ridiculousness of yeah. the naming. And, <laughs> it's just yeah. a rapidly decaying beer, beer. Brian. Well, That's it is. You have to which serve it within two double days. entendre included? Because yeah. <laughs> triple, triple. triple, yeah. Well, I was going to go double because it is a double okay. IPA, but yeah, it's fine. You can go triple. That's fine. I'll take that. But those beers do go through. I mean, they they turn really quickly, and I mean, uh, turn both through the faucet but also turn in quality very quickly Yes, uh, because those have a a very short shelf life uh, as far as production goes, which leads me to my question. Like, you know, we talked about grain, the cost of grain and everything. uh, But the, the two beers that I've, I fell in love with, and I mean, Hoppenheimer uh, is right up there with it, but those are all very hop focused beers. Mm -hmm. How do y'all as a small brewery, uh, how, how do y'all do it? Because there are some breweries in our area who d- don't do it well. <laughs> they they uh, will produce a wonderful batch of beer and then uh, have to go through other sources for their hops. And you can taste the difference. Yeah, and Carl can probably speak a little bit better to this. But that was a lot of our you know our research when we were building our business model. And just our, our financial model was we knew that right from immediately that we couldn't get certain hops. So while we were building certain aspects, like while I was working on branding and creative and Carl was working on the financial model, Jeremy was spending his time finding replacement hops, you know, and things that were easily accessible and affordable so that long before we went commercial, we knew what we could actually brew with, you know, at a large scale. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I kind of feel like actually some of the recipes, um, as we were trying to find more available hops, um, I'd say the recipes got better. It was actually, mm-hmm. you know, we were we were just trying to find something that could that could you know keep the quality at the same level. And I think we really, I think Half Life improved um, as we kind of started mixing up the. I mean, it still has Citra and Mosaic in it, but um, um, but yeah, I mean. You know, I think that's another advantage of, you know, starting off at a small scale is that, um, you know, we can get smaller quantities off of, uh, you know, off the secondary market. So to kind of step back for people who aren't aware, uh, the majority of popular hops, you have to actually um, you have to you have to sign a hop contract with a with a with a distributor and um, like a like a hop vendor. And um, some of the hops, some of the real popular hops are contracted out maybe, you know, five years. And um, and so, you know, you can't guarantee yourself those hops, um, you know, until, say, 2023. So, yeah, you're a lot of it looking on the secondary market, um, you know, finding stuff that isn't contracted out. Um, a lot of times towards the, you know, a lot of these. So you commit to a certain amount and you say, you know, you're going to buy. I don't know, 200 pounds or whatever. Um, and if it gets towards the end of the the contract and you still have, you know, 75 pounds left, you know, you're liable financially for those. So people are trying to, trying to sell those. So, you know, really paying attention when the new crops come out, like when the new, well, not the new crops, the new contracts come out 
is, is really trying to make sure you're picking up the hops for the year that you need, you know, kind of planning ahead, um, you know, when you can get them. So, yeah, so just, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know. So you're, you're, you're buying hop futures. Yeah, and then essentially. The yeah. Sec- secondary market what, that would be whatever production you've the, got left. So secondary, yeah, derivatives the, on hop futures. That's awesome. <laughs> the <laughs> dangerous part of that is uh, you're also betting on the value of those hops toward the end of the year. So if you go through a big slump of either not not having the sales that you predicted or uh, a trend changing in the market where you have to produce a different beer altogether, the the value that you've put on those hops yeah, at the beginning of the contract, very much so. So, uh, but what it, I mean, it sounds like they've they've kind of set themselves up to uh, be a little more flexible in how they're using their hops, uh, which is a a great great thing. Um, so. Uh, I, I'm honestly, I was, I'm a huge fan of, of your beers if it didn't come across the, uh, in the beginning. Uh, but since we started talking with y'all, I'm just even more impressed with, uh, the business model that y'all have set up and the way that you're going, you're approaching business, uh, in, in the DFW market in particular. Um, so I mean, that's awesome. You guys are, you, remember that time you guys brewed that really good beer? <laughs> it was awesome, so, guys. Like, I just to fanboy out, but uh, I've got fantastic. I've got two questions before we wrap. Okay, question one: Are we going to see your beer outside of Dallas with this new brew house? Stop. Question. Think, two. Don't be selfish, Frank. Don't be <laughs> question selfish. Question two, <laughs> and this is very selfish because I live in Austin. Question two: um, The the Overall strategy of Manhattan Brewing. Nope. No. Back up. You Berlin did it Bay. wrong. <laughs> Dang it. But I, I didn't nail that. No. I did not nail it. No, you did it wrong before uh, cast, and I was going to let you go with it. it. All right. It is the Manhattan name. Project Beer Company. Thank you. Right? So you all like to innovate, and you like to do it from the, the kind of the ground up, right? So you, 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 you build a beer from its base and then decide what you want to do with it. Um what are some sneak peek exciting things that we can see coming oh, goodness. once this brewery Frank. opens? Frank. Not not like don't hint at it with the name, just no. say hey. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 can we look forward to? Um okay. So I will we'll give you a couple sneaks. So one is the tap room will be unlike any tap room you've ever been to okay. in DFW. Awesome. Um and it's going to be much more than a tap room. Are you um, going to have Connect Four? Uh, <laughs> most li- most likely, no. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, and we will not have Giant Jenga. Oh like my that. God! I don't know if that's. I thought that was a staple. I thought that was part of <laughs> yeah. Dallas no, nobody, city of Dallas. No one else wants to hear Giant Jenga. So uh, I agree. With yeah. That. So, anyways, but the tap room, you know, I think, may, you know. People can change their minds and if other people are listening to this, but it's a huge missed opportunity when you're using your tap room, you know, three or four days a week and for very limited hours. So if we're there, you can come in and have a beer. It doesn't matter if it's Monday at 11 a.m. We're working. Um, So we're going to have, and because of our proximity to downtown, we're doing a lot of partnerships with, you know, the Dallas CBD and other organizations in the area. Um, you know, corporate companies, small businesses, so that our tap room is like the remote office. 
Um, so we're just going to be available as much as possible. And it's going to be very comfortable. We're not going to have picnic tables. Awesome. Um, nothing against picnic tables, but we want you to come and hang out and yeah. bring the kids and you guys enjoy are, your stuff. You guys are breaking the mold. I don't even know if they can consider you guys a Dallas brewery <laughs> without picnic tables, being uncomfortable as shit, and giant Jenga annoying the big Jesus out of everyone. Guys, well, yeah. I don't even know. I'll, in defense of picnic tables. No, there the is cheapest, no defense. It is the cheapest way to seat a ton of people. I'm sorry. Have you not? And we've already put on uh-uh. like uh, half a million to three quarters of a million into some brew stuff. You build some picnic I'm tables. I'm sorry. Have no, you never what, Have you uh, never been to Ikea? Uh, <laughs> that's what's, um, you know, kind of one of the advantages is the route we took. Like, like we said, we've been in business for a year and a half. So. Yeah. Um, kind of, you know, we, we took a, a, a much smaller step kind of, um, from time zero, uh, and that allowed us to build a customer base. And, you know, there's obviously a lot that goes into, you know, developing the recipes, scaling them up, finding customers, you know, and that's a lot of work when you're not also worried about. So right now, you know, we're building this and we had the luxury of being able to find a property that required rezoning. I mean, most people... You know, like if if you if you have zero income, you know, like like you can't just do that. You go, oh, well, sh- we just need to go out to you know Arlington and find a warehouse and start mm-hmm. making here. So we, you know, this has allowed us a little bit of flexibility to find the right property and spend the time designing it right and and doing it exactly the way we wanted. And it was like you know, but it, I mean, it came out of cost. I mean, there was a sacrifice. I mean, for the past year and a half, we've been limited to forty barrels. So and um, um, and you know our. Our, the three of us as partners is not by accident. You know, it's not just because two of us are married. It's because we bring different skill sets so that we can each, you know, we can have a fully well-rounded team. And then the tap room does not have to be an afterthought because I'm not just yep. the bro making beer, right? you know? Um, so yeah. And then as far as product goes, you know, you're talking about the fact that we are, we are IPA centric at the moment. Yeah. Um, and part of that's because Jeremy has the nickname as the Hop Whisperer. Um, uh, he, does, that's he, awesome. does, he does beautiful things with hops. Um, but we do have a, a very large breadth of other styles and recipes that we will be releasing. And, you know, part of the thing is, you know, there's other things we want to release, but they spend, they take too much time in fermentation. Mm-hmm. So when we're, when we only get 40 barrels per month, we do have to be strategic about how much beer we can get in the market as quick as possible. Um, So, but there, there will be some, some build Belgians and um, there's something it's on untapped. The image is on untapped. So I will tell you the name. You guys can figure out what style it is, but the name is necessary evil. Necessary evil. It's necessary evil. Necessary. Coming from a brewery. That is, you know, you've seen our beers, so. <laughs> it, takes, uh, well, it takes an extra two weeks to make. I was going to say, that's are you, last, did you, that's the last tent you're going to get. Did you make a light lager or did you make a, uh, a, a light, more you're sessionable beer? More hey, listen, <laughs> listen, yeah. I have, I have been on a serious, uh, we'll just call it, uh, I don't like the term session beer. Because I, I can session a fourteen percent stout all day, uh, but I I, I I love myself. It's not. It's a profession, really, more than anything else. Uh, I love so myself. To do. <laughs> love, 
<laughs> Listen, we didn't get the name No Beer Left Behind for no reason. We we finish we finish what we start. Uh, yeah. I, I like those low ABV beers and uh, even some of those uh, light beers that are not so low ABV. Also, a big fan of. Uh, I think yeah. there's a couple of and, imperial pilsners that really really get me going. So yeah, and whenever we release, you know, it's going to have our signature. Uh, you know, dryness. We don't like sweet. You'll notice none of our, mm-hmm. even our pina colada, it's not sweet. You know, we always like that dry finish and it's a super well-balanced beer. So we're taking that approach with all the new styles that we're releasing. Nice. I mean, even our, our fission, our Saison, like it's not sweet at all. It's tart um, and it's dry. So. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. That, like, you know, festivals or wherever and where we we're actually face to face with customers and, and we say, you know, blackberry saison. And if they look at you kind of funny, then you just say it's not sweet. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll try that. Hey, you, they're they're looking at you with the right questioning eyes, is it's, what it is. It's like the rosé of beers, right? Like people it kind of is. yeah. And you're like, okay, uh, it's probably going to be sweet, and you I'm not going to like it. Frank, I am very proud of you, man. That is like the first like beer relevant connection <laughs> that you've made. God, a hundred episodes, Frank. It has taken a hundred episodes, but you've you've made me proud, son. Like I, I'm I know so wine more than I know beer. Okay, but so, no, you've. Can, you've can, can we ask? Can we ask Willem for his input? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Willem has drunk himself in, under the table. I don't know how it happened. He, he looks. I've had a very long day, guys. <laughs> he looks like he's just getting ready to. To, to put on some very white and like seduce somebody, uh, he's all like laid back. Well, his 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 normal on, seduction. Honey, gotta finish podcast. <laughs> his his normal seductress is Parker, and he's not available at the moment. Yeah. Um, oh man. Oh god. Yeah, villain. Right. Uh, your thoughts. <laughs> I, I, uh, my thoughts are just that it's been awesome to have you guys on. I've honestly, more than anything, just enjoyed listening. It's been very, very nice to just. This might be the first podcast that Villains listened to in a hundred episodes. <laughs> it's an episode of first, really. Uh, a lot of firsts. Have been paying attention the whole time. He has. Yeah, yeah. I have. Uh, speaking of an episode of first, uh, Carl, you used for the first time ever on No Beer Left Behind the word serendipitous, which I, I'm I, that is more syllables than we're co- like, like capable of comprehending. I don't so. even know if I used it properly. You did. You did. One hundred percent. It was correct. Uh, Definition. I, I literally wrote down the note. It was like serendipitous. First time on MBLB. <laughs> Uh, well, I do. I, well, okay. There is a backstory. iTunes does charge you by the syllables. Yes, so, they do. You know, I don't think we know. can name it. Episode one hundred, serendipitous Manhattan Project, and we, we have to go. work out some sort We're of verbose. crowdfunding. Right, so, my last question: distribution. Are we seeing this outside of Dallas soon? It's modeled. Ah. It depends on your definition of soon, though. Yeah. No, no. Over the next like eighteen months. No. So, no. All right. No. I, I oh, okay. like. Well, she's she's in charge of sales. But, so I'm not <laughs> Carl's like, yeah, absolutely. It'll be down there next Thursday. We'll run a shipment down. <laughs> well, I mean, we can fill some we can fill some crawlers and send him down for you. So. Yes. Uh, no, he's getting. Can, as long as I see it, Austin. No, it, he's right? getting too in happy. In my mind, that's Austin. We so. can't. <laughs> no, but 
<laughs> but Austin is in the future plan. It is not immediate, though. So, uh, but the good news is that our distributor has recently expanded to Austin, so it'll make that that um, that growth down there a well, bit easier. Be better. I've got an Austin question. So, what are the what like if we could if we could be in three play like. Because what we talked about is, you know, we don't we, – obviously, we don't want to overextend ourselves and, yeah. and just create a bad situation there. But uh, what would be, like, the what would be like the, the first three places you'd go talk to if you were us? You know, it's interesting, and I'll have to follow up with you on that because it's it, – Austin is a very fragmented market, even more so than Dallas, right? Mm-hmm. So Dallas has fragmentation, but there are chains. Um right. Austin currently has four growler bars, all of which have one location. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of which is up the road for me. So really unexp- like unexplored. What's the, what's the name of that place? Uh, growler Express. We, I, I actually. I mean, uh, he's saying Austin. <laughs> he's, he's saying Austin. It is. It's like twenty minutes south of Austin. No, it's ten miles south. Yeah, yeah. but it's it's they've got so they've built they open up about. Uh, I want to say two weeks ago, and they've got their own exclusive. They're one of Petacolis's, uh summer vacation spots. Okay. Where their Petacolis yeah. is coming down for like I think three months this summer yeah. in Austin. So, but what it comes down to is like in the Austin area, there's a lot of untapped potential outside of breweries. So I would focus on like getting into well-respected beer places and. To do that, if you can in some capacity get in touch with uh, <clears throat> like the 512 people, they have mastered that art. Well, I was going to say, they also sound like they are. If you well, have 512, you are the shit. Well, like, they, well so, so, so my, my, my thought on this is that, yeah, like, and we've kind of talked about it, but, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of people that travel between Austin and Dallas and come up here for festivals and, and said, hey, when, when can you get your beer in Austin? And and so, um, I mean, even if we don't, even if we're not at a point where we can just hit Austin gangbusters, if, you know, if, if we can get a couple of counts there, you know, I just kind of want to know, like, because really, like, the, 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 the everyday local in Austin probably is not, has not heard of us since we're a Dallas yeah. brewery, but, like, like, you know, the beer nerds or people that, like, you know, I'd want to, like, where people are interested, like, where it would actually satisfy him. Do, 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 you do the growler spot. Well, you also, do just, the, just real do the quick. the growler spot. Sorry, beer nerd, beer nerd uh, talking here. Uh, just a quick reminder. Uh, Jester King does outside beer sales uh, through do, their do. tap room. Yeah. Uh, North by Northwest typically does outside beer sales through their <laughs> tap room. Uh, they're also a chain, so they have, I think they have two locations. Two or three. Uh, two or three. Uh, Pine House Pizza has two locations, and they do other beers they're, on... They do do hosted beers. You but said do do. No, they have. I mean, they have like a fifty wall tap or fifty tap wall. So they're not just doing their own own beers there. No, but, but out, their outside beers can be very chainy. It, it depends. Uh, hey, listen. All you got to do is come in with branding, which they got. You're gonna no, be I money, have, son. But those, would, <laughs> you're you're talking you're you're talking about the the beer nerd places to go. I'm telling you, the beer those nerd the places, places to go. You're right. And and uh, I know Jester King is not uh, maybe not be a realistic uh, jump in because of the way they handle their business. Uh, but I can tell you that that would be a next uh, like a, a yeah. stepping stone for uh, the rest of the beer nerd scene. I've I've heard they're like, how do I put this? Um, they like to sleep in. 
<laughs> Dude, we uh, so I visited there on a on a on a beer <laughs> on a beer trip, a beer business trip, and um, while I was visiting, they found a case of Berliner Weiss. And for those brewers and beer nerds out Ryan, there, you understand? Correct. No, hold on. So they were uh, they found a they're case in Dripping Springs. They're not in Austin, right? Like Dripping Springs is a different pace. Right. Life it's Tulsa time of Texas. Yeah. So anyway, they found, uh, to your point, Carl, they found a case of Berliner Weiss uh, at the back of their warehouse. And uh, we were just visiting and heard the full conversation of, well, what do we do with this? I, I don't know. How long has it been there? I don't know. Well, well, do we sell it? <laughs> sure. Okay. So they sold a case of Berliner Weiss beer that had been around for with no idea of its origin. No ideas of how long it had been around. They didn't even pop open a bottle to see what it tasted like. They were just like, oh, somebody will buy it. Maybe some real beer nerds out there want to taste a three-year-old Berliner Weiss that's been hot-stored. It'll be good. It'll be it's fun. It's all wild yeast, Brian. Uh, just dude, what it is. There's some things that come out of that brew house that I have some very serious questions about. But not then the pizza, though. But then great. Yeah, the pe- well, it's not related to, <laughs> not related to brew house. Yeah. It's a separate entity altogether. That's a different text number. I agree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <it's true. laughs> so they, they did different that to get around the uh, to get around the the tap room laws. Isn't that what happened? That yeah. is. Yeah. So they. Yeah. Yes. They. Yeah. They. they um, and that was before, yeah, that was before the laws changed where you could do beer sales yeah. out of the ta- or beer and food. So yeah, uh, I still am not hundred percent clear on how they operate. <laughs> uh, well, Brian, the, see, they're all. they're a brewery. Oh, and then they sell pizza. Oh, okay. No, I was talking about yeah. the brewery in general. Uh, all I know is when funk metal comes yeah. out, I'm always the dumbass standing in line. Like I liked funk metal last year. I'm a buy funk metal again this year. It tasted good last year. And then uh, Brian, I'm see, there every year. The brewery always starts with water. Okay. And then All right. it's grains. time to wrap. It's time to wrap. <laughs> Frank is trying to tell me how to brew. Uh, I will say for uh, for my own sake, I opened up that rainy day bitter that Frank opened up and blew up all over his laundry room. Opened it up. Nary an issue. I think you shook it up too much. That's all I'm going to say. I didn't touch it. No. I didn't touch Apparently it. Apparently for an... some sanitation problems. No, absolutely not, Carl. I will stop you right there, sir. I am nothing if not sanitary. I am nothing if not sanitary. I use the finest, I use the finest Lake Louisville tap water and uh, uh, dish soap and a little spit shine. Everything is fine. There is no issues. No, uh, I do have an issue with overcarbonating. I use uh, the... Uh, Bottle rockets. Asshole. No, that's not what I use. <laughs> I, uh, I use the conditioning tablets, and uh, sometimes those get a little get a little fun and over-effervescent. Uh, anyway, you know what? All that aside, you know, I didn't think the beer was that bad, okay, Frank? No, it's a good one. I didn't it's hear you complaining. One. It was Listen. almost all Maris Otter beer that I taught the Certified Sister Own class. Uh, what Maris, what the what the beauty of uh, English malts were. So that's that. I wanted to clarify that. It was my first Maris Otter beer. It's as good as any I've ever it's had. It's not your first Maris Otter beer, but it was as good as any you've ever had. And I'll take full. As good as any I've ever had. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Carl Misty. First off, I want to thank you for being on with us tonight. Uh, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, let our listeners know where they can either find your beer or find out where to find your beer via social media and the internet. Untapped is always your best bet for, um, because like you said, our kegs blow super quickly. 
Otherwise, you just email me or hit us up on Facebook. Um, I try to respond to every single email and inquiry within two hours. So especially if you hit us up on like a Thursday or Friday when the last deliveries are going out, I can tell you where it will be this weekend. That and is... the, email, the email is taste at manhattanproject.beer. But um, general go-tos are the growler shops. Like, you know, where you said we should go in Austin. The growler shops are always a guarantee. Um, Cork and Growler is you know, one of our, our, our biggest customers. And then any major beer bar that's uh, mostly on the Dallas side. So, you know, the common table, the saucers, things like that. Crafting Growler, Lakewood Growler, Bluff U. Yeah. Um, probably leave it. This, I feel like I'm at an award ceremony. I'm probably forgetting somebody. <laughs> That's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, it, it is, it is uh, you know, it's okay. Fort Worth has their own thing over there. Uh, and, well, well, and we will be spreading. I mean, it was strategic because to drive to Fort Worth for one or two kegs would take a better part of a day. So we had to keep our radius small. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like, it's y'all. Y'all are still operating within your business model, which is what is going to make y'all successful. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, again, uh, I don't mean to be too much of an ass kisser this evening, but you guys were one of my tops coming into the night, and then uh, hearing y'all discuss your your branding and your uh, your production process and your basically your your business model in general. I'm a huge fan of guys. So thank you both thank very you, much for, for coming on. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Anytime y'all yeah, want to come back fun. on, holler at us. We will we will be glad to have you on. We might even let Willem talk next time. And uh, if we can get Parker out of whatever daddy daycare. Willem is the slyest dog that we have in our cast right now. Uh, if we can get Parker out of whatever daddy daycare hell he is in right now. Uh, we, we will have him on with y'all next time as, as well. I will try to be more diligent and uh, actually get some samples sent out to <laughs> the rest of the team. But uh, <laughs> I got to be honest with you: when I get Half Life in my in my fridge, it doesn't leave my fridge usually. It just <laughs> goes right into a, a, the largest vessel drinking vessel I have and just right down the hatch. So, thank well, you both come. so much for coming on with us. Um, uh, our listeners, be sure to check out uh, Manhattan Project Beer Company anytime that you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, like Missy said, uh, hit 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 them up uh, with any questions on where they're where they're going to be on tap. Uh, if you do have them on tap, be sure to take a picture, send it in to them. They they like to see the the photos out in the market of uh, of people enjoying their beers. Uh, they're active on social media on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, and Facebook. So be sure to hit them up while you're at it. Go ahead and uh, go ahead and check out your boy over on Instagram at No Beer Left Cast, and uh, be sure to uh, watch Frank getting into some ridiculous arguments over on Twitter at No Beer Left Cast. <laughs> oh, are you done with that? You're not doing that anymore. Okay. Well, I mean, I've seen. I know it's basketball finals season, yeah, so God yeah, only knows. Twitter, yeah. <laughs> Don't go there, Brad. <laughs> Frank's going to be yelling about James Harden in about three hours. So, all right. Uh, for Brian, here in North, uh, sorry, uh, far, far, far south Oklahoma City. Uh, until next time, I'm out. Thanks, guys. Thanks to the Manhattan Project for being on. Uh, and we'll talk to you guys later. Right. Yep. Thanks for uh, Manhattan Project for joining us at 100. And from far, far, far north. 
East, Mexico City, Brian, <laughs> you meant to say I'm going to rant about the uh, greatest pitching staff oh in the God. history of baseball, the rookies on the Twins. Oh, um, right, I'm out. Right. <laughs> <laughs>